Welcome to the Politics of Everything. I'm Amber Danes, your host and podcast producer. This is a half hour of power, a podcast dropping every week where I unpack the politics of everything, from money to motherhood, nutrition to narcissism, startups to secularism, the environment, quality, and much, much more. Our guests are seasoned in the field or topic of their choice, even if you've not heard of them yet. This is a non-partisan show. So while I love exploring varied views and get a buzz from a healthy debate of ideas, this is not a purely blue, white, green program. Please subscribe, tune in and enjoy the politics of everything. Adrian Bellagian has over 20 years of corporate experience across Canada, Africa and, and Australia, and he's worked extensively in marketing, sales, strategy and joint venture management. As a speaker, leadership team, performance expert, executive coach, Adrian has been involved in transformations, mergers, downsizing, expansion, and has recently run, won some state, national and global awards. He has got this great new book out, which title is very, very catchy. It's Teams That Swear. And of course, that captured my attention immediately. Now, scientifically speaking, a penchant for profanity doesn't seem to be such a bad thing. And studies have shown that swearing relieves stress, dulls the sensation of pain, fosters camaraderie amongst peers, and is linked with traits like verbal fluency, openness, and honesty. But Adrian is not talking about F-bombs here. This is more about team allegiances. And his view is that when unifying your team, it's invaluable to enlist an expert to support, one that can help create stronger relationships and greater levels of clarity among your group to help them shine. And clients rave about Adrian's ability to get leaders to open up and share personal stories in meaningful ways. He's renowned for his practical, enthusiastic and engaging approach to helping leaders drop their guard, share their stories and build productive relationships to win the games that matter most. Some of his amazing clients include NYOB, Cricket Australia, the Group and the National Rugby League. Adrian inspires leaders with his honesty, reliability, and inclusiveness, and the outcomes enable leaders to focus on the things that matter most to them and their people. So, a big warm welcome to Adrian on the politics of everything. Thanks, Amber. I'm re- I feel really lucky to be chatting with you today. So, uh, I just want to say thanks for having me join. Podcasting remotely can be challenging, but it doesn't have to be. Since day one of the politics of everything, I have relied on Zencaster's all-in-one solution to make the process quick and painless, the way it should be for those of us who just love great content and want to get our ideas out into the world. If you know me, I'm obsessed with quality in terms of my guests, my sound, and everything about my show has to be great the first time. I'm time poor. It's so easy to use Zencaster. I'm not tech savvy and you don't need to be either. There's nothing to download. Just click on the link and off we go. Zencaster is all about making your podcasting experience easy and with everything from local recording to automate post-productions now in their toolkit, you don't have to leave your browser to get that episode done and done fast. I have a special offer for you and I hopefully you can experience what I have with Zencaster. Go to zencaster.com forward slash pricing and use my VIP code, the politics of everything, all lowercase in one word, to get 30% off your first three months of Zencaster Professional. How good is that? I want you to have the same easy experiences I do for all my podcasting and content needs. It's time to share your story. Absolutely. Now, young Adrian, what did you want to be as a kid? I don't think what you do now is probably in that kind of careers guide that you get when you're at school. Do you remember your young, young you ambitions and did you get there? Yeah. So as a, as a young boy growing up in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, which is essentially in the middle of Canada, long cold winters, we were born with a pair of ice skates on. 
So as a child, that was that was my dream to be to play in the National Hockey League. And I always wanted to play for the Montreal Canadiens. Now, whether I knew it or not at that time, that dream, that dream was probably never going to come true for me. I just didn't quite have the talent. So as, as I got older, I obviously discovered that, okay, I've got to find something else. And I can remember being in, in, in high school, deciding what to go to university. And I liked sport. Science was not my thing. But teaching, being a PE teacher, at that time, I thought, ah, that's not going to pay me enough. So I, I went to university. And I studied business, majored in finance, then marketing. And then, yeah, over the course of my first 20 years in corporate, I was really working with some big brands. So uh, Labatt's, which is a beer company, great job when you're going to university in the summer. Yeah, did you um, get free beer is the question I've got for you. <laughs> Yeah, I got the odd beer here or there. It's actually funny when you work for a beer company and you go to events, people want to buy you a beer. Which oh, how funny. <laughs> counterintuitive, right? Um, but yeah, I, so I spent working with big organizations. I came to Australia in 2005 and, and uh, worked with HBA and Bupa. And the common theme across my career was this either leading teams or working with external partners, trying to create these microcultures of trying to get people to come together to achieve what they both need to achieve, but do it in a way where we do a really good job and, and, and we have a little bit of fun. And um, it was something now, this is what I get to do all the time. It was something that was probably in me since 2000, I'm going to say like 10, 12 years ago. And now I'm lucky enough that I get to work with some fantastic leaders and, and really trying to get their teams to swear by each other, not necessarily about each other. Absolutely. And of course, a swear word is that phrase that's considered blasphemous, obscene, vulgar, or otherwise offensive. How have you redefined swearing in your new book? Because your title is very catchy, but obviously we're not talking about that kind of swearing. No, and I, and I, I have to be honest here. I've got something to admit. I'm not necessarily a huge swear, and I'm not advocating for workplace to become this place, as you mentioned before, of profanities. But Swearing can play really a big role in, in creating stronger relationships and creating alignment amongst teams. When I was a kid, swearing was not acceptable. Now, whether that's because I was, you know, raised in a Catholic home, um, I never heard mum or dad swear at all. But funny enough, when I came to Australia, and this is where the swearing inspiration came from, I found that people swore more. And particularly at work, I had a colleague who swore like a trooper, not necessarily in a bad way, which is just part of their vocabulary. And I would tease, I would tease them. So you get such a potty mouth. And, and, and she would swear that there was nothing wrong with swearing. So I was stubborn. I, you know, I thought, well, no, there's got to be something wrong here. So, you know, I'll Google it. And lo and behold, we actually, we were both right. Aussies do swear a lot. Um, on average, Australians swear seven times a day. And 10% of the population swear 20 times a day. But my colleague was also right that swearing is good for you. And he touched on some of the benefits early on. But when it comes to swearing in the workplace, um, it's how you swear that makes the difference. When people are swearing in front of each other and by each other, it shows that they trust the other person and they can drop their guard and be authentic, right? Yeah, if, you're swearing, if you're swearing about each other, this is when there's trouble, right? That creates a lot of doubt. It creates angst and worry in the working environment. And people also start to wonder, oh, well, if they're swearing about that person, what are they, what are they saying about me? Mm. No, absolutely. I, I love the way that you define that, I guess, reframed how we might think about things like swearing and how that 
impacts the workplace. You say that energy is the enabler of unlocking potential and empowering leadership groups to speak openly, obviously prioritise their non-negotiable stuff and make powerful changes to their routines, provides them with the opportunity to deliver their best. Where does this idea of that swearing allegiance to each other or, you know, kind of bonding come into this when you were thinking about, and I guess, that energy that starts off the conversations, that seed of where we start when we are unlocking potential as individuals, but of course, collaboratively as a team as well? Well, Amber, do you, do you mind if I ask you a question? Sure. <laughs> wow. Um, Being interviewed on my own podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, we'll have some fun with it. Trust me. Okay. Um, it, it has to do with energy at the individual level, but also energy at a team level. If you had to think over the last week or so, and you had to score your performance energy, how you felt between one and 10, what would you yeah. score yourself as? I'd say probably a seven or an eight. I'm very hard to pin those things down. Probably a seven or eight. Seven or eight. Okay. So perhaps not at the, the best, the top. What impact has that had on how you go about doing your things? Well, clearly, if you don't have as much energy, what I do find is what I do is I go through the motions. I don't tend to then tap into that next level of what I need to do in my business or for my podcast or whatever activity it is. I kind of just go through those motions because my energy levels are not as high. All right. You're not alone in the same way. But the the reason I ask that is because I do say that energy is the enabler of unlocking the potential of individuals, which makes sense based on what you and I just talked about. But it also unlocks the potential of the teams because before a team can be at its best and ideally swearing by each other, each individual in that team has to be at their best as well. And what I found over the last two years uh, when speaking with the leaders that I've been working with, 81% of them has said that they are not working at their ideal energy levels. 81%. Is it it because we're a bit burnt out? Do circumstances come into it in terms of, I guess, having gone through the pandemic and all the challenges of that? I mean, what's your observation of the why? Yeah, there's a couple of reasons that that I'm hearing from different leaders. The first is that now that that the pandemic is over with, organizations during that time are really, a lot of them were focusing on surviving, right? So how do we just get by day by day, month by month? Now that they've gotten through that, the opportunity is them to identify how can we grow. And so what that's mm. done is created a, a lot of new opportunities for new initiatives. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of change happening within organizations. There's also some people within organizations who have they've taken learnings from COVID. They said, right, this was my chance to reset the things that are important for me. And I've got to be able to prioritize myself to make sure that I'm taking care of me so I can be best for others. What that means is some people have been really good at setting boundaries, but it's created this gap within workplaces that used to be filled by those people. And so now what leaders are struggling with in some ways is to go, how do we fill that gap? So this is, this is why it's, it's really important for individuals and, and leaders to understand what do I need as part of my regular routine to keep my mm-hmm. ideal energy levels where they should be? Because if I can do that, if I can identify what are my non-negotiables, what are the things on my priority list that I'm putting that help keep me at my best, then I can be in a better position to lead and support my team. How can and then what that does is then allows them to swear by each other 
and um, not so much about each other because they're they're working at a better energy level. Yeah, that makes sense. I'd love to hear a couple of examples that you might have, and they don't have to be company names that you know you name. It can just be examples of industries or types of businesses. But how they can create more of those those team allegiances in times of change or transition, like a big downsize or a restructure. I mean, my sweet spot in what I do in my practice is crisis comms. So I'm often the comms person who's brought in as a strategist to help people at kind of the worst point in an organization before it gets really good. So I see it from that lens. But, you know, there are ways in which that experience can be galvanizing, but also motivating in some way, or is that not possible? It's a tricky one. I can remember when I worked at Bupa and there was a time where the organization purchased uh, another health insurer and there was a massive spill and fill right from the top level all the way down. And it was fascinating to watch the people in the organization go through that process. Initially, people loved the drama. Who's going to get the big gig, right? People were betting on who's going to get this chief role and who's going to get that chief role. Once the, the executive roles were in place, then the next round of bets would be would be made. Um, but then as it got closer and closer to impacting the people, particularly if their managers were, their roles were being restructured, it wasn't so fun to watch anymore. And my takeout during the, those times, whether it's a downsize, a restructure, is that people, it's, it's an extremely personal time for individuals and people will all react different. And as a leader and as a team member, we have to acknowledge that everybody's going to react differently. And most people won't necessarily be at their best, right? There's a high level of stress, high level of pressure. That fight or flight kicks in. And you can't really do much about that, right? Like that's just human nature in a way. It, it is because, you know, our brains are telling us there's a big threat. And even though that threat, I suspect if you ask people 12 months later, they realize actually that was probably a good thing that happened. But at that time, it's going, how am I going to survive? So, you know, what can what can organizations or leaders do to, to develop that, that camaraderie or at least get the team uh, working together better is I think it's really simple. It's be nice. It doesn't mean be soft, but get the simple things right. Be clear with what's happening and why, right? When you're telling people when it's happening, don't tell them on a Friday afternoon because guess what? That's just ruined their weekend, right? Try to put yourself in their shoes. Um, be, be there for them. Ask them, how can we help? And the biggest thing, and this, this is, is, is really difficult, but don't judge them on how they respond because they're not at their best. So it's really just coming back to how can we support each other with our basic fundamental human needs. Absolutely. No, I really, I like that. And I think that's an important thing to keep perspective during those times of transition as well. Can you give us some insights into the characteristics of the four types of teams that you talk about in your in your book and in your work? And I guess what you can do to avoid sinking, spinning and self-serving teams. And I guess ultimately we all want a team that shines, right? Oh, the shining team is by far the best one to be on. So absolutely. When, when we're talking about the four different types of teams. What, what I found through my 20 years of working in corporate and then in 2019 when I wrote Teams at Swear, I spoke to a number of different leaders from around the world. And what I found is that when you look at the teams that perform really well and the ones that don't, there's two things that stand out. And that's the strength of the relationships within the team and how clear and aligned the team are in some key items. So when we're talking about, when I talk about the four different types of teams, the sinking teams, these are teams that have really poor relationships in them and there's very poor alignment. 
And you'll know you're in one of these teams if what that team is delivering is nothing but issues. Performance is poor and energy levels amongst the group are consistently down. And you, you can tell, you can see what people are doing. When a team is sinking, members in the team are simply focusing on getting by day, getting by day by day, right? And keeping the job. There's a little bit of avoidance. Typically absenteeism goes up, right? And fatigue are all signs that that team is sinking. Now, um, what eventually happens is in those teams is people start to swear about themselves because their confidence drops. Their sense of belonging diminishes and people don't feel like they're in their space. So what teams can do if they find themselves in those situations is the leader just needs to start on creating levels of clarity. And this is about discussing with the team going, what is the purpose of our group? who's doing what and when, let's get real clear in what the roles and responsibilities are and try to identify one objective that the team can work towards together. That will start to increase that level of clarity. And it's what you'll see if people start to work towards a common goal, the relationships will start to improve. But I always say, start with the easy one, create alignment, and then we'll go from there. Go from there. Yeah, the base needs to be right, I guess, before you can worry about the scaffolding and all the other pieces which come together. So that totally makes sense. In your view, what's the common theme that makes a great leader, no matter the industry, you know, the type of business it is, and why? Why is that sort of that theme or that quality, the, the piece that you think is the most important? It's a great question because there's so many different answers. And when I'm working with groups, um, I run an exercise call, called the Big Five. And that's one of the questions that I ask. I say, when you, you think about the best leader you've ever had, what is it that they did to make you think that? And typically the answers I get are, they listened to me. They had my back. They checked in with me. They called me into the office, not to give me heck, but more just to go, hey, how are you doing? The other things that come up on a regular basis is they, is they made me feel confident, they were honest, and they treated me like family. I, ha I had a manager who, when we would go for lunch, he would buy food and put it in the middle of the table, and we shared the meals. And it, it, it really, it was a small symbol, but it, it showed how he saw me. So when I hear all of those different words that come through, to me, they all lead up to this theme of belonging. Yeah, I love that. People within the workplace... But when, when people feel like they belong, they feel confident. They feel like they, they're there because people want them and they need them. And if people within the workplace have a strong sense of belonging, that's when you're going to get the best out of them. Yeah, no, that's really good. And I think that's important for us to have that perspective as well as we're kind of navigating what we are doing if we are a leader ourselves or we are working with leaders. How has the definition of this, this notion of high-performing teams changed in the business landscape over the years that you've been working in this space? And I imagine, you know, the sorts of things we think about, like the triple bottom line, the people, profit and planet kind of focus, it's probably some aspirations which your clients sort of, you know, espouse when they speak to you and obviously put in practice. But what else do you think is really essential for people to create that high-performing team that sticks together and rides the good times and bad? If there's one thing that I know about teams and performance is this. It's that complacency is costly. Hidden issues fester and they'll always explode. And when they do, we all know it's not pretty. There was a report that came out, I think five years ago, that said that Australian workers spend about 10% of their working week managing unproductive conflict. And this resulted in about $434 billion of wasted work. 
So that complacency is costly. And what I'm finding over these last couple of years, there's a couple of things that are really standing out is that that lack of alignment within teams is poisonous. The second thing that I'm seeing is that uh, no team is ever perfect, never. They're made up of individuals. Individuals have good days and they have bad days. But the great teams are the ones that can find those productive ways to get through when everybody's not at their best. When they can do that, they build a lot of momentum and they build great power. If they can't get through those times, what happens is the clash prevents momentum from building. So what I, what, what I think is what's essential in terms of driving high performance is that teams need to be deliberate. They need to be deliberate about how they do teamwork because intentional focus fast tracks success. If you want your team to succeed, you have to work on it regularly and not leave it to chance. Yeah, I do like that. And I think that's important as well for everyone to kind of grapple with as part of this this conversation today. So I really appreciate you giving us such a thorough answer as well. Changing tack a little bit, I do ask my guests some pretty consistent questions. We started off with one of those and now we're going to wrap up with those. What is the best general life or business advice that you've ever been given and why? Hmm, that's a good question. Um, when, I, when I was a child, I mentioned I played ice hockey and then I started playing baseball. That's kind of what you do in Canada in the winter. You play hockey. Yeah, you're probably not, not water baseball. skiing as much. <laughs> well, maybe a little bit. No, not, not quite as much. <laughs> I'm, I'm not very good with the water. That's, that's probably why. But it was, it, I had a baseball coach, uh, Coach Hansen, and, and he, he just, there was three words he would say to us on the field all the time. And it was, go get it. He would talk about uh, how this thing, this round thing of baseball was there to try and make you look silly as much as it could. It would try and bounce by you, it would try and go over your head, it would try and get by you. Uh, and he said, what you have to do is be aggressive and go after it and go get it. And I think that baseball is a good uh, analogy for life. There's many things that happen to us um, that make us look silly or make us wonder, what the heck am I doing this for? But that advice from Coach Hanson, go get it, that's that's stuck with me for a long time. Yeah, no, it's very memorable. And I guess it applies to all sorts of aspects of life as well. If we spoke in a year's time, Adrian, what would be your number one goal to have achieved? And why, why would you want that goal to be the one? If there, were, there was a goal that, I, that I'd like to achieve over the next year, from a, from a purpose perspective? It can be anything. It could even be like you're going to run a marathon or it could be whatever. Um, like it can be personal as well. It doesn't have to be business. Yes. All right. So from a – well, I've probably got a couple then. One of the goals is that we, we would like to get back to Canada. It's uh, One of the reasons why I started this type of work as well is because I've been in Australia for a while, but I still have family, brothers and nieces and nephews and my parents and uh, over in Canada. So um, – when I started this job, I thought this would be good because I can do some work in Canada. So that's 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 one of my, my personal goals is to get some work uh, back in the homeland. And that that will give us a chance to to bring uh, my wife and my three kids and we can spend some more time with my family back home. Yeah, that's a fabulous uh, goal. And of course, I think post pandemic, we all just value that stuff so much more. We used to take for granted, I think, just being able to, to go places. But I think that perspective is really important. As we wrap up our conversation today, what would be your final takeaway message for us on the politics of swearing if there was if there was three things that your listeners remembered is that when it comes to creating these teams that shine and the teams that swear by each other it's it's these things first one relationships matter most put the effort into creating that connection and trust in the teams the second is that clarity creates cohesion 
So regular discussing the things such as what is the team's purpose? What are roles and responsibilities, objectives? And what are the key behaviors amongst our team that's going to drive the success? Talk about those on a regular basis and keep that level of clarity high. Because when you get relationships and clarity working for you, that is the key to getting your team swearing by each other and allowing you and your team to truly shine. Fantastic. And there's a lot there for us all to consider. So if you do want to connect further with Adrian, of course, there's some details on the show notes. Until next time, take care. Thanks so much for listening today. If you've enjoyed the politics of everything, I thrive on your feedback. So please add a short review and share the podcast with your network through Apple, Spotify, and all the usual suspects. I'm always on the hunt for new and diverse guests. So if you or someone you know has a fresh idea you're busting to get out there, please email me at amber at amberdanes.com and my crew will get back to you very soon.